0: Thank you, Lionel. Um, And it is uh, really good to be with you this morning. We're in this uh, stage now for my family and I where uh, Sophie is uh, due next Sunday. And so every Sunday now I'm thinking, am I going to be at church this Sunday or am I not going to be at church? But I'm I'm very happy to be here with you this morning. Um, And I may not be here next week, but hopefully we'll see. We'll see. Keep those uh, that, that passage open uh, that you're looking at there in Colossians chapter 3. And I just wanted to, I guess, ask at the beginning um, a question uh, that you've probably thought a lot about. But who, who are you and how do you, I guess, in your own uh, picture of yourself, define yourself? Uh, what do you think of? Is it something like uh, what we had up here Uh, that uh, with uh, the kids and and Caroline uh, as Jenny was talking before is it uh, something to do with perhaps your job maybe not a fireman but do you think of that as part of your identity is it something to do with maybe an ability that you have like as a Olympic volleyballer or uh, whatever sport or other ability you have is that how you think of yourself Uh, there are lots of different answers to thinking about who who am I and there's lots of different voices in our world that kind of suggest how to define our identity. We're influenced by our families um, and by expectations that have probably been ingrained over generations about what it means to be a successful person. Our culture tells us things and often different things at different times about how we should Perhaps look a certain way or care about certain things or, or think a particular way uh, to be kind of approved and we're told sometimes that actually who you are comes from within and you really just need to to kind of embrace who you are that you feel uh, you do you uh, that's what we're often told and we're told that actually we're governed by how much we can achieve or what we what we do uh, our performance uh, so if you're, you know, productive, you're valuable. If you're not productive, you're not valuable. And The, the problem with each of these is that, well, firstly, you're not quite sure if you're following the, the right voice. And second, you're not quite sure, even if you are, that you're doing enough to fit that particular criteria. I mean, this uh, letter, Colossians, Paul has again and again been uh, telling us that to find who you really are, Who you were made to be, actually to do that is to trust in the Lord Jesus. And the letter has been about clinging to this new identity, to this new self, this reality, even amongst all the competing voices of our world. It's, it's, It's a difficult thing. Now, it's kind of like when you move physically to a new place. Now, um... My wife Sophie moved from the northeast of England to Australia, uh, and that's been a big change for her. Physically in a new place, but adjusting to this new place takes time. So, road rules, for instance. So, uh, not parking on the other side of the road facing towards the traffic in Australia. That's not cool here. In England, that's cool, apparently. And I'm conscious this is the second time I've referred to Sophie and her driving in the past few weeks. Uh, And I'm a bit nervous, but uh, there's other examples, you know. um, Sophie doesn't need to, uh, I guess, check the weather every day because it's often not going to be too cold here. Um, There's all these government agencies she has to change her address with and things kind of lag behind. Um, But she physically lives here. She's got to address, uh, actually... Uh, what that means in her life. She's still catching up with actually living here, still getting used to what that means. That's a bit like us, when we become Christians. Your address has completely changed, uh, or in the language of Colossians, your old self is put to death and you have a new self. Your identity is completely new. And now I'm not saying that Sydney is better than Newcastle upon Tyne necessarily, but in becoming a Christian, your new self is way better than your old self. And some um, some of us who are here today might be still assessing uh, this whole thing and um, God's, I guess, reality of the world from the outside. Uh, Some perhaps who aren't trusting Jesus just yet. Uh, And I hope today you'll see how compelling this picture of life is. And you will trust Jesus. For others here today, uh, perhaps lots of us who trust Jesus already, the challenge is Well, how do we let this wisdom actually seep into our lives? If this is true, how do we let the reality of who we are shape how we act? So first, we're going to look at the reality of the place that we now live, of who we are uh, if we trust Jesus. And it's both comforting and really exciting. This is who we are, according to this passage, if we trust Jesus. We're God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. That's how we were described. Just think about each element of that for a moment. Think about how each part of that helps us as we think about, I guess, some of the, the lies that are in our world or that we might tell ourselves. See, we're told perhaps in our day-to-day life that you know, you're valuable because of what you achieve or what you uh, contribute. That's normally how it works at at work or even in friendships sometimes. So uh, life often feels pressurized and uh, getting older or perhaps less able or perhaps failing at things that makes you less valuable or perhaps feel less valuable but that's a lie this is not how God works see we are chosen by him chosen by him purely out of his goodness a value that's not based on our achievement at all or what about uh, the second thing we're holy when we kind of get things wrong in life when we hurt people or fail to do what we should we often we we can't fathom how we're going to make it right again we're tempted to take either one of two approaches either sweep something under the carpet and just not think about it and keep living as if nothing has happened or to sort of i guess despair because there's nothing we can do to repair things but god says here we are holy that is all our stuff is dealt with we're able to stand before God himself with total confidence. We're, we're holy. Or, and and this, this is where so many of our attempts to define who we are end up, wanting to belong, right, to be, to be cared about, to fit in somewhere, to find our place. We often, though, feel uh, rejection or disappointment or fear of those things, uh, but actually we're loved already. Do you see that there? We're dearly loved by the God of the universe. Not because we're lovable, but we've been chosen and we're holy and that's, he, he dearly loves us. It's not something that can be taken away from us. So just think of who we actually are, really and truly. We're loved by God, chosen, holy. That is really comforting to realise. See, the difference, I guess, with, uh, um, to the other ways that we might kind of define ourselves or feel like we need to define ourselves is that we don't need to do this ourselves. Who we are in Jesus is given to us as a gift. It's not something we have to work at ourselves. It's a gift. So that should, that should make us, us thankful. But it, it gets better. Uh, we're loved and chosen and made holy. Uh, to get this... Be like God himself. That's what he's made us for. Have a look at those characteristics that we're supposed to put on there. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Does that sound like anyone you know? Does that sound like, well, hopefully it sounds in some part like some people you know. But actually, if you think, take all those together, it sounds like Jesus, right? These are the same kinds of words, in fact, that describe God himself. You might have uh, picked up um, some of the echoes in Psalm 145. Uh, God is the compassionate one, kind and patient. Because have a look just a little bit earlier in the passage from uh, what we've read. Have a look in verse 10. People who trust in Jesus are to put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. do you hear that? Being renewed in the the knowledge of the image of its creator. Back in chapter 1, you probably remember that uh, Jesus is described as the image of the invisible God. Now, it's it's us. We are supposed to be like God. That's how he made us in the beginning. That's how he's uh, renewing us. Jesus is the ultimate picture of God, and we are to put on Jesus, I mean, That's an exciting thing to be, right? That is so exciting, to be becoming like God himself, like the greatest human ever to live in Jesus. That's what we are called to. Loved by God, supposed to be like him. If you trust in Jesus, that is who you are today, right now. It's a comforting reality. It's an exciting reality. That's our identity given to us by God as a gift. That is worth thanking him for. Okay, so we're loved by God, we're to be like God, and we're to be like God together. Think of those characteristics. How do you show compassion uh, if you're on your own, right? How do you be patient with uh, someone if there's no one to wait for, right? We're talking uh, about what it looks like for us to practice these things together with other Christians, other people. Perhaps the first context you think of is is here on a Sunday morning with the people that you can see around you right now. Uh, Perhaps there's also other contexts like small group during the week. There's the wider Wurrunga Anglican Church family. There's other Christians that you meet. This is what we're talking about uh, right now. Have a look at the new reality for us together. Have a look at our group identity for how we should interrelate. Jump down to verse 15 there. It says... You have peace with God, you're holy, chosen and loved, and so have peace with others. This isn't a a superficial kind of of peace. It's not just a lack of hostility. It's a a deep peace won by Christ. We've heard about um, peace already in Colossians. Uh, This is what Christ has done. I'm just going to read from uh, chapter 1 verse 21. Through Christ to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Right? And so, because each individual uh, who trusts Jesus has peace with God, forgiven and new before him, we automatically have this real peace with each other. That peace, it's a reality, even if we don't feel it, because of how we're related to God. So imagine you you, you, you I don't know, wandering through the street and you run into someone and you realise that, whoa, it's amazing. This is my long lost cousin. This is amazing. And uh, they're, they're, I might get this wrong actually, but their great grandmother is the same as your great grandmother. Is that right? It'll do. Just imagine, you, fi- you meet someone, doesn't matter how they're defined, but you meet someone and you realise that. Their great-grandmother is the same as your great-grandmother. So at that point, regardless of your interests or what you look like or anything else about you, you're related to each other by blood, right? In this particular way because of how you're related to this forebear who could be your (laughs) great-grandmother. I might have to do a diagram later and sort that out. See, we are related by peace, right? Because that's how we are related to to our father, right? Right? And so it says, the peace of Christ uh, rules in your hearts, right? In verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And then that means being secure and calm and assured in your own peace with God, your own holiness before him, and then realizing that that puts you at peace with others who have that same peace. So as you look around at people who trust Jesus here, before anything else, you have a peace. Uh, You have a peace that transcends any potential differences that you have. A peace that's actually already a reality. So how do we live out that kind of reality of peace together? Jump back to verse 13 there. It says, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. It's about a forbearing forgiveness. So when we're together, there are inevitably times when uh, you're wronged or when you wrong someone. There are grievances, some of which bubble up, some of which remain under the surface for, for weeks or months or years. Bearing with and forgiving one another doesn't mean cheap forgiveness or excusing wrong. Uh, and depending on the issue, forgiveness can be really complex to work through, and the relationship may never go back to exactly how it was before. Forbearing forgiveness can be hugely difficult to do if we try, and so often we avoid it completely. But what's key is to remember the reality, remember where we now live, that we're made to be like God. See, it says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. That's, that's the reason that it's worth working at something difficult and challenging. See, we're defined as a community by the forgiveness that we have each received. We've each been offered uh, by God himself. So that's what we should offer to each other. And this is a community uh, where we won't get, I guess, cancelled if we do something just out of whack or just that's plain wrong. There is a way back in this community community because we're defined by God's forgiveness. This is why we need to put on Jesus compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience and the one that uh, sums them all up here uh, in, in one word in verse 14, love. In order to bear with and forgive we need to keep putting on the new us, keep remembering who we really are. So being together is the opportunity to live out being God's people, live out our true identity. But being together is also the the kind of the means, the mechanism by which we're helped to remember what our identity is, because that's really hard. See, it's difficult to remember who you are when there are so many other ways that we're tempted to define ourselves, whether that be ingrained family values whether that be through the messages we get from our culture whether that means whether that's from uh, defining ourselves kind of internally by how we feel these are tempting and and persuasive voices and so Paul says we need each other to remind us of the reality he says let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish each other with all wisdom See, the message of our true identity in Christ, it's it's to richly dwell among us, to sort of set up camp in our midst, to kind of be an ever-present, almost person in our conversations, to be unmissable, unmistakable. God's word is key. It is our bridge to the reality of who we actually are. It's the thing we need to, um, to shift our mindset when we get it wrong teaching and admonishing one another those words might sound familiar if you've been with us through the colossians series because in chapter 1 verse 28 paul says uh, of himself and his colleagues that christ is the one we proclaim admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom whereas paul's talking about really himself in chapter 1 here he's talking about every christian right this is every christian's responsibility to to wisely teach and admonish or or warn each other the truth of the message of christ he's not really talking about the the formal sermon here paul talks about the value of that in other uh, places what he's talking about is person-to-person interactions uh, encouragements coming from each other Uh, these conversations are to be a big part of christian community so last week The strategy for revolution was, uh, do you remember, do not lie to each other. This is, I guess, the positive spin of that, the antidote to the lies. Let the word of Christ dwell richly. So when you sort of start to believe a lie, perhaps, that says, uh, you know, what you say doesn't really matter. And when you're loose with how you talk about someone else, what do you need at that moment? You need someone else to warn you. That malicious words, like we looked at last week, that they're dangerous. That actually they come out of uh, an old identity. That uh, there's somewhere in your heart that still needs renewing. That's what you need from your Christian brother or sister. But when we're working through life issues, right, like uh, I don't know what jobs to take or how we use money or how we raise kids, we need each other to teach ourselves who we are that we are stewards of this job or these kids or this house or this life. We need to hear that from each other. This is something that, that we need to be doing together. I don't know, when, when, when do you have the opportunity to have conversations like that? It'd be great to have conversations like that um, afterwards at, at morning tea, I guess, but to be honest, that's a pretty hard context a lot of the time. Uh, do you get the chance to have those conversations elsewhere in a small group perhaps in a prayer group do you talk about these things if you catch up with others uh, through the week do you take the first step ask the first question we need this message about our true selves to be on our lips on each other's lips well that verse goes on to talk about in verse 16 singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to god now, those songs it talks about could be part of the way we teach and admonish each other with wisdom, and we'll have a chance to sing again in uh, just a moment. Uh, it's, it's really hard to work out how a psalm is exactly different to a hymn, is different to a spiritual song, but they definitely have to do with thankfulness, singing in your heart with thankfulness to God. Listen to that. So bearing with people, that, that's hard. Doing, uh, like trying to work out how to forgive people. That's really difficult. Admonishing people or warning people, having a hard conversation. All these things seem really hard, not that comfortable. And yet here, right in the midst of it, center stage, is thankful singing, right? So as we finish up, I want to just talk about thankfulness. Because I think thankfulness is really a, a key marker to if we're getting this, if we're actually getting this. Look there, it's three times in those three verses. Verse 15, and be thankful. Verse 16, with thankfulness in your hearts. And verse 17, giving thanks to God the Father through him. If we get, pardon me, if we get what we've been given, if we understand that we've we've already been moved into this new, wonderful, amazing neighbourhood and that all we have to do is really get used to living here then, then we'll be thankful so so nurture thankfulness if there's just one practical thing you kind of take away from today work on being thankful meditate on the beautiful truths of who you are in Christ hear encouragement from your brothers and sisters and thank God you could you could reflect on any of the descriptions in Colossians of what God has done for us Paul keeps giving us more and more of them because that's what he wants For the Colossians, he wants to keep reminding them again and again of their identity. But let's return now just to the one we had earlier in this passage, what we've reflected on already. He has chosen us. He has made us holy. He loves us dearly. He's given us peace with him and peace uh, together. He's renewing us into compassionate, kind, humble, meek people just like Jesus. You know, if we really, if we get that, we will be thankful. And so whatever you do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Have his reality shape every part of your life, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's, uh, let's pray and, and thank him now. Father, we thank you so much For what you offer us, we thank you so much for that offer of of peace, peace to each of us individually and peace uh, to us all together. Help us uh, know our true identity more deeply. Help us live it out together and help it uh, drive us to deeper thankfulness. Amen. Well, we get the chance to uh, teach and admonish each other through the words of truth in this next song uh, and uh, this song actually is based